This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. This is episode number 151, otherwise known as the episode where we review the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, which I, you know, usually would make you wait, but I'm figuring out as time goes on that you already know what you tuned in for, so. The buzz is back. <laughs> That's right. With me, as always, as you might have just heard, is my good friend and co-host, Joe Peterson. How's it going tonight, Joe? It's going very well, you... Good. Going pretty good. Yep. Oh, Had man. a little uh, travel for the first time. Just went, <laughs> I mean, not far, but went out to my, my folks' place. It was about an hour's drive from where we live and uh, visited with my family for the first time, like, all together in one place, like, indoors. Felt very, you know, scandalous and, like, weird to be around other adults and inside and not masked and... Um, yeah, but anyway, had yeah. a good little family get-together, which was cool, so... Nice, um, nice. Yeah, the CDC just so. kind of was like, okay, y'all are on your own, bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, kind of felt like, but... Uh, yeah, Mike dropped us, like... Yeah, they, they kind of did, and I, I part of me has to wonder, and I'm sure it's like the science is showing that the vaccines are effective, and that's great, but part of me also wonders a little bit if the CDC was like, we tried this last summer with you and it didn't work, fuck it, do what you want. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it was the equivalent of a parent going, fine, have the cookie before dinner. I'm tired of arguing with you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I wish I didn't agree, but I do feel like that's most likely uh, part of the decision is they just are mitigating the damage they know is already going to be done. But um, also, I think it was kind of a last ditch, like, maybe we can talk some of this portion of people that refuses to get vaccinated into getting vaccinated they know then they don't have to wear masks in places anymore like if we can get rid of the mask thing and then you know maybe they'll do it and i don't know well i'm not sure those people really will but it it definitely you know put it I, i i can see how some businesses are concerned because it puts a lot of pressure on them suddenly when it's like you know a business may still say well you know we have people that come in that may or may not be vaccinated and you know like if you run a restaurant you've got just clients coming in you've got you know diners coming in to eat and you know how do you deal with that like okay i'm assuming everybody here is vaccinated but i guess it's just the other way around because i know here in wisconsin you know, there was a mask mandate but there was a loophole of course where businesses were claiming because of of like hipaa that you couldn't ask somebody if they're not wearing a mask you can't ask them if they have a medical condition for why they can't which was bullshit you know says somebody who obviously have never read anything about hipaa but yeah it has nothing to do with hipaa but (laughs) it's just but people fell for it and Mm -hmm. so they'd walk in without a mask and they'd just be like oh well i just assume 
And it's like the same people that are complaining, you know, that are suggesting that, by the way, are the ones that, you know, complain about people cheating a welfare system, for example. Um, yeah. <laughs> a little ironic. Yeah. Um, but now it's kind of turned the tables, you know, where it's maybe going to put businesses into, you know, a position where they're asking where people have you been vaccinated. But there's no way, of, you know, you can't force them to prove that, so... Yeah, I don't see this country going any route where they're... I don't know, where you'll have to... Maybe in some businesses, but I don't know. Especially after the CDC's most recent move, I don't see... I don't think we're going there. I don't think there's going to be vaccine passports or... No. Um, cards. Maybe in big cities for, like, major events, you know, event organizers will decide that they'll require something. But I even think in that, just, just knowing... Knowing America and, you know, some of the, like, less desirable um, traits of some Americans, uh, I have a feeling lawsuits will be flying anybody that does it, so we'll see. Yeah, I don't, I don't think if, I know, you know the CDC also did say, now keep your masks handy because if there's a spike again, you know, we're going back. Nobody's going back. I hate to say it. I mean. No, I, I think I once you pull the, the Band-Aid off, you know, once you, once you remove the mask it's uh it's going to be tough to get anybody it, it, even it people is. that were complying and without a problem it's going to be tough to get people back people are so, so and i don't blame people for this part like people are so wanting to be you know back to normal the weather's getting nice mm-hmm. it looks like there's that glimmer on the horizon that you know this summer could feel a little more normal and then then yeah. to give them that and then try to walk it back like i hope they were damn sure about this yeah, because <laughs> there's no walking it back now i don't think so well i will say that i'm i'm happy to hold on to all of my masks because in the winter it was really nice um first of all keeping your face warm and second mm-hmm. not getting a cold or yeah. the flu so i think during cold and flu season this might be something that i continue to do i don't know we'll see but yeah, grocery stores. It's certainly not the know, worst those, idea. No, it's, it, they've been doing it in Asia for a very, very long time, so yeah. I don't see why not, despite uh, despite those changes. But yeah, tonight we're going to be yeah, talking too. about Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, which has absolutely nothing to do with wearing... Well, it does have something to do with wearing masks. Yeah, I was going to say, I, that was even going to be my uh, oh. my attempt at a segue there, was you know, oh. speaking of wearing masks made of human skin. Oh, wait, I mean, we're... <laughs> um, Yeah, we're going to take a look at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Part 2. Thirteen years ago, audiences across America were horrified by the savagery of a faceless killer. In the wake of this bizarre rampage, he vanished. Now... After more than a decade of silence, he has come out of hiding. (laughs) Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. The Buzz is back. Directed by Toby Hooper. Uh, It was made in 1986. Directed by Toby Hooper written by L.M. Kit Carson and features lots of gory special effects by the great Tom Savini. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... And a hell of a week, cast in this one, too. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, got a... Well, it's got it's got star power, something the first one definitely did not have. So. No, it has uh, one I, returning cast member. 
Yep. Just uh, Jim Cito, who plays the cook older brother from the first movie. Yeah, who is who we find out is named Drayton Sawyer, uh, yeah. who we now have we now have names for everybody uh, as one of the ch- one of the many changes in, in that we uh, get here in the second uh, film. So, in case you're not familiar with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, uh, from the back of the DVD box. From the director of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this ghastly and hilarious sequel descends into your deepest, darkest fears of a whacked out as a whacked out lawman goes after human meat cutters with his own high octane chainsaws and a horrific showdown with the legendary Leatherface and his entire cannibalistic family. For 14 years, former Texas Ranger Lefty Enright has been obsessed with finding the psychotic mass murderers who killed his brother's children, and today he's in luck. A tough-as-nails late-night disc jockey has caught the ghouls on tape in the act of slicing and dicing a couple of fun-loving rich kids. When she volunteers to help, Lefty persuades her to play the tape on air to lure the maniacs out of hiding. But what she doesn't know is that she's the only witness to the diabolical family's butchery who hasn't been carved up for somebody's supper just yet. So, yeah. This one takes a totally different (laughs) turn. And, you know, it... We, we talked last week um, about the inspiration of the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre on other films. And one that we mentioned, of course, was like Rob Zombie, his House mm. of a Thousand Corpses uh, and Devil's Rejects and stuff like that. The way that Toby Hooper handles Chainsaw 1 and 2, where 1 is like a very gritty documentary style and 2 is yeah. this off-the-wall batshit black comedy is kind of the inverse of what Rob Zombie would later do with House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. Yeah, it's it's always kind of reminded me of the differences between the uh, original Evil Dead film and yeah. Evil Dead 2. It's that kind of... Um, although I, I'd say this one actually is even more so of a 180. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think of the like kind of dire grittiness of... Uh, the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, like we talked about last, almost like nihilistically bleak in the way that it's, um, you know, and it's just just a total nightmare kind of. Um, I don't think there's anything really that funny going on, which is which is interesting because Toby Hooper disagrees. Like he he thinks that that black comedy was always there, uh, even in the first one. So I don't know, <laughs> but like we like we said last week, we talked about the Franklin yeah. character. Like maybe that was an attempt, but. Yeah, like, I've been racking my brain, like, what was the dark comedy in the first one other than my favorite line of, you know, look what your brother did to the door. Um, yeah. But there's there's really, I don't know, if, if there's dark comedy, it's pretty sadistic. This is kind of your classic late 80s gore fest dark comedy horror film, though. Like, yeah, it's, 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 it's totally screwball, even though it's very it's very graphically gory, but mostly in a fun over-the-top kind of way. I mean, um, the, the gore effects are great. I mean, the, the special effects in this movie are um, pretty fantastic. Uh, good work by Savini, who is, you know, Ed is kind of, like, riding his career high at this point. Um, and it's some of his his best work, I think, in, in this film. So that's one of the things to show up for, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your personal history with this one? Like, did you... I know that you told the story about how the original Chainsaw Massacre had kind of influenced you as a child. Mm-hmm. Is this one you were aware of, and when did you first come across the, the very different sequel? This is one that it was a... saw the cover of the box at the video store for years and years, but it, the big part two kept me from seeing it because I hadn't seen part one. 
you know, again, you know, story of my life, I being a friggin' little purist bastard kid um, <laughs> in that aspect. But I eventually did see this one as a teenager, and it it didn't really leave much of an impact because it it there were so many films in the late '80s that were just over the top with the gore. This one didn't stand out as much, and I think also because the first movie was so much darker. It, the first movie, seeing that one in like the early 90s, mid-90s, there was nothing being made like that. So like the first Chainsaw is up there with Halloween. It's up there with the first Nightmare. It's up there with Elm Street. There's up there with the first uh, Friday the 13th as these kind of like... And Hellraiser is like these pinnacle horror films. And like with a lot of sequels, they get different. You know, like Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 is pretty screwball. Uh, Hellraiser 2 goes off on a totally weird tangent. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, Howling 2, for example. <laughs> we were talking about werewolf movies a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Howling 1 and Howling 2. <laughs> this And Evil Dead, like you said. This was a common thing. What's different, though, I feel, about this movie is you're dealing with the same director yeah, to do something totally different, which is kind of odd. You didn't see that with, like, Nightmare on Elm Street. Wes Craven didn't do part two, you know, that kind of a thing. Right. So this one, it, it I, I really tip my hat to Toby Hooper for, you know, many reasons, but especially for these two films, is being like, okay, I made a huge impact with this one. I want to do something totally different with my own idea. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Yeah, and... When did you um, see this one? Oh, I I actually saw this one before I saw the the second one. This one I kind of told my story about being on yeah. tour, and when I saw the the you know the first Chainsaw Massacre. This one I saw working at the video store. I'm pretty sure just popped it on because they had it there. Had never seen, um, you know, I actually might have even been earlier than that, but I definitely rented it from the video store in our town. So, <laughs> um, and. Yeah, I had seen this one a couple times probably before I saw the first Chainsaw. And that's probably led to why the first one had such a effect on me. Because I I expected something similar to this, and it's not. <laughs> so uh-huh. seeing it in that order was actually interesting because I think I expected it to be kind of a screwball, over-the-top Chainsaw gore fest. And, and it's really not. It's really more about, you know, fear and its intensity and... Um. Yeah, it's like you know, we we talked about it in depth yeah. last week. If anyone hasn't heard that, but um, and this is just a totally different type of movie. So, yeah, seeing it in that order is interesting because I think it actually like helped in a way. It made my expectations different, and it 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 let that first movie surprise me in a way that it may have you know may have been a little more similar to the way people saw it originally. Yeah, and I think if you go and then look at, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 and, you know, Next Generation, not counting the remakes, um, Mm -hmm. none of them ever get to that same level as the first movie. But they don't, there's moments that are goofy, like in this one. Yeah. In in both of them. But they're they're pretty, they're they're kind of their own beasts, too. But, uh, yeah, this one, you're right, this one definitely had star power in it, because it's starring... Dennis Hopper. Yeah. One of my favorite yeah, Dennis Hopper plays uh, Lefty Enright, who's a former Texas Ranger and is the uncle of Sally and Franklin Hardesty, who were the two of the lead victims in, well, Sally being our final girl from the original 
Chainsaw Massacre and Franklin being her handicapped brother who, you know, we talked about at length, his character. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a family connection. It's the only, I mean, obviously the, the family is, is sequely, but it, it does actually have a, a protagonist here that is connected to the original group as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a direct sequel, but that's still kind of loose. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it's a direct sequel that takes place like ten years have passed in between the you know the first movie and this one, or almost ten years, and also ten years have passed between the first story and the second one. So he's been you know hunting these elusive Texas chainsaw murderers or cannibal murderers all over the state. Um, I don't know how with all the shenanigans they pull in this movie, how they you know have been evading the law, but eh, who knows? You know, by the time you get dive into the like the way this movie is, you st- I think you stop asking a whole lot of those kind of questions. But um, this was yeah. actually produced by Canon Films, so Menem Golan and Yoram Globus, uh, Golan Globus producers of Canon Films, um, they kind of got the ball rolling on this thing. Uh, got Hooper involved with the project, I believe. Um, they wanted a horror film. They wanted, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, and I don't know if Toby told, you know, Hooper told them that's what they were gonna get, but he definitely did not stay in the vein of that first one. I guess they were pretty upset with him when uh, they saw this sequel. So um, he definitely went all in, and he he we we toyed around with the idea last week with. Uh, calling a lot of Toby Hooper's work or him, him being obsessed with the kind of idea of a, you know, fun house of horrors or, you know, a madhouse. Of, um, and he went, went very literal in this one as, you know, the second half of the movie takes place in an old dilapidated amusement park and the catacombs that the family has built under it. Um, so yeah, literally went for the fun house of horrors this time. Yeah. And it, it, the, their, their subterranean layer. I mean, it, it, this movie, one thing I noticed watching it this time is, yeah, if you want to watch it as a sequel to the first movie, it's jarringly strange. If you watch it where the only connection you have to a previous story is the the, the scroll text at the beginning, which kind of simplifies the first movie. Yep. It's, a, it's a much also more... Also emulates it. So. Yeah, and really emulates it. It's much more of a, of a fun ride. Because it's its own yeah. thing, like the the bickering of the family of of the this group of the brothers in this subterranean funhouse cave <laughs> is so strange. Yet they're bickering in the first movie, but it's just different. Well, not to mention you got you got Bill Mosley in this, yeah, a very young Bill Mosley. This was his second role, and right. he is so bonkers batshit in this. It's hilarious. <laughs> Um, I read the story on, I believe it's on the Wikipedia page, but about how he got this part. I don't know if you saw that, no. but he actually produced and directed and starred in a, uh, parody film of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre called the Texas Chainsaw Manicure in which he played the hitchhiker character. Oh. I've not seen, I've not seen this, but he used that tape or that, you know, short film comedy film that he and a couple buddies had made as an audition tape for this movie. Or, no, 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 I'm getting it a little wrong. He showed this, got an opportunity to show it to Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper was so impressed with his emulation of the hitchhiker character that when this came around, he actually went and looked him up 
and asked if he'd like to audition for it. Wow. So, yeah, because so Bill Mosley's character, uh, Chop Top, because mm-hmm. he's got a metal plate and he eats his scalp. He picks it off with a. I think presume presumably sur- somehow survived the is the same character that somehow survived the uh, getting run over by the truck. <laughs> and, uh, See, okay, now yeah. that's that's. I'm curious. I've read that he is supposed to be the hitchhiker's twin brother. Oh, really? That they're supposed to be brothers. Hmm. And I mean, very I, well could be. They never actually say they, one they way or the other. They never really so. say one way or the other. But um, you know, because he keeps talking about nom flashbacks. Yep. Um, yeah. That was I, I noted that because the hitchhiker in the first movie certainly does not seem to have that connection to. Vietnam. He doesn't bring it up. So. Right, and and chop, uh, yeah, chop top has this metal plate over his part of his skull, and the 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 scalp is all rotting, and he picks it with a a coat hanger that he singes with a lighter, and then he eats it. It's really yeah, fucking disgusting. And, it's really yeah. gross. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have to look up where I read that, but yeah, I read somewhere that he's supposed to be like. His brother, like the other hitchhiker, yeah, very brother. well could be. Yeah, Which, I, I just had always assumed, you know, because because you see what happens to that character, and, and their twin brother, I guess, would make sense because their mannerisms. You could tell he's a caricature of the original. He's an over the top version of an already over the top character from the original movie. Okay, so but, and I've got this thing I want to throw out there because I don't know if you noticed or if anybody listening noticed this, but. In this one, too, there's also this corpse that they play with throughout the entire movie. <laughs> yes. He's wearing one of my like favorite things in this camo movie. Jacket. It's like a, he's like a bodysuit. And I call yeah. him a bodysuit because he's like a corpse attached to a suit that somebody could put on and then kind of like make him dance like, around. Like a, and... Yeah, like a puppet. He's yeah. wearing around his neck this little bag that's made mm. of fur. Like a pouch around his neck. Yeah. That's what the hitchhiker was wearing in the first movie. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Is, is this the corpse of him? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I suppose that there's a twin brother um, and they, with this family, the way they are, you know, that makes sense. So It's my headcanon. At, at the very least, it's my headcanon, but I think it works. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it works as well as any explanation because, you know, how he would have survived that, who knows? I just figured they stuck a plate in his head and like, oh, look, he survived, like, essentially. My, um, to, to continue my headcanon, uh, Chop Top, the reason he's not in the first movie is because he's in the VA clinic. Nah, okay. Because he's talking about having to go back to the VA clinic to get, like, his plate polished or something like that. Mm-hmm. He makes a comment about that. So, I don't know, that's just my headcanon. And the timing would work out because, you know, 1974, there's still some shit going on, you know. Right. I don't know. That's just my <laughs> contribution to <Yeah>. the characters. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, Bill Mosley's a, a performance in this movie. I mean, well, first of all, it's kind of his career, you know. It's the one that everybody thinks of. You th- If you know who Bill Mosley is, if yeah. you appreciate Bill Mosley, like Chop Top's probably the character well, I don't know, like Rufus T. Firefly from the Rob Zombie films was up there now too, but um the he's kind of the epitome of what is different about this movie from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And that is not only is this I feel like this almost goes a step further because we talk about like, oh, the first one's so deadly serious and this one's kind of a comedy. But it's not just a comedy. It's actually a parody of the original film in it a lot is, of ways. Yeah. 
And that's different from, I think that's why I, I always equate it to Evil Dead 2, because that's exactly what Evil Dead 2 is. Yeah. In a loving way, but yeah. it's it's just the same movie again, with but we play it up the comedy and uh, angle. So, yeah. So, so it's interesting choice that Hooper like literally went to like, oh, I'm gonna do a parody of my own film as, a th- as instead of doing a sequel. Maybe he just really was against the idea for all those years and went, okay, well, if we're gonna do it, we're gonna have a little, we're gonna have fun with the idea and kind of us do a send up of it and just kind of go all out with everything. So, also, it becomes like like you brought up earlier, it becomes a victim of a lot of the cliches of the decade in which it was made. Um, a lot of the slasher film stuff that wasn't really present in the first one, because now a decade of these things have gone by. We got Halloween, we got Friday the 13th, we got the Elm Street movies, and all these things are in the middle of being, you know, building into these giant, you know, many film long series. Um, so we get a lot of those cliches, I think, that come in here right away, and we get, you know, um, a strong sense of sexuality that's almost totally missing from the first film. Uh, you get a lot of like loud rock and roll music, which mm-hmm. is fun. Uh, the way they use it in here, it's actually got a pretty good soundtrack. Um, I don't know. You get a lot of the '80s fashion stuff, which uh, certainly the first one had period fashion as well. But I think the in- inclusion of sex, and this is going to sound like a very puritanical statement, but I don't mean it that way. But the inclusion of sex was one of the biggest differences in these characters that I that I think feels different in this movie. In the first one. Let me explain this briefly, and I'll see what see if you have the same uh, reaction. But okay. in the first one, I think we explained like we kind of equated last week to these as like a group of predators, you know, sharks or you know, just beasts with no kind of way to um, for a human being to relate to. You know, they're shaped like humans, but the, the the behavior they're not acting that way. I think when you all of a sudden you make Leatherface have a sexual interest in in Stretch, who is the um, uh, radio DJ they talked about on the. Uh, in the synopsis, um, she he kind of she kind of acts as Leatherface's love interest, and they make a lot of jokes about it, and uh, including like yeah, in the radio station, him using his chainsaw as a like phallic <laughs> item for. Um, oh yeah, it it's yeah. it's a really cringy scene. It's like yeah, and yeah, for me, it actually kind of hurts the movie, and it's not because it's sex necessarily. It's not because I'm offended by it in any way. But it's because it humanizes the characters in a really like in an odd way. But it uh, before they were so like totally devoid of any like actual. I know anything relatable, really. I mean, the old the older guy, Drayton, in this movie, the cook, um, he had a few relatable, you know, moments. But then you saw what was working behind him and you saw that, it, you know, he is really this like disgusting sadist and all. Right. Um I think making Leatherface not only, one, have a sexual interest, act sexual, but two, actually go beyond that and to give up, you know, just on a whim, kind of give up all of his work and everything that he, you know, obviously valued. I don't know. I don't know if you could, like, really dive into the character that much from what you get, but there was a seriousness to what they were doing, right? And, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. I, I know what you mean. In the first movie, you know... Leatherface clearly has some mental issues, right? Yeah. Different than the rest of the family. Like, he's he's just not there. Um, and in this one, they, they kind of build up on, yeah, this, like, sexual animalistic thing. 
and it's it's mm-hmm. just it it's different but in its low hanging fruit for really uncomfortable humor maybe that's what it is it's like okay mm-hmm. so you're trying to make this a dark comedy and you're going borderline pornographic okay well that's it's like oh, I made a dick joke okay that's kind of low hanging fruit um but yeah it, it felt off it, it feels it, it's it's uncomfortable and but then again I'm also watching it from a lens of 2021 um I, I'm trying to be conscious of that but yeah it's 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 weird and it's uncomfortable <laughs> yeah like beyond all of that um it also hurts the character I mean I think Leatherface is terrifying because he's unpredictable in an animal sort of way and I um in this, uh, I don't know, it takes the fear away. It ta- He's just not, he's also so easily manipulated and, um, I don't know. You, you he know just what? doesn't have the imposing, terrifying, like, presence in this movie. He's almost comic relief. For yeah, and, and I think that's maybe part of it, too, is you know, even on our show here, we've reviewed movies about, like, sexual brutality you know uh, miss 45 and so on and even if you look at bill mosley's later work in devil's rejects where there are some scenes of the same kind of uncomfortable sexual violent situations like you see in this movie but they're met they're, they're dealt with so much more serious and they're so much more terrifying in this one i think making the sex stuff comical is I I feel what hurt it in that aspect. Yeah. It, it's, well, that's it's certainly the, what gives it that cringy aspect. Yeah, it's the fact that they're making it funny, and it, I I and I can't even say oh it was just the times in that case because you know movies like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer had been out roughly around this time, and that yeah. was disturbing, uh, incredibly disturbing. So yeah, the the sexual stuff in this one, because it's handled with with slapstick, is yet it's still ultra-violent is, is a little off-putting. To me, at least. Yeah. But, yeah. But, ahead, but the, I was going to say, but, but the humor in other aspects of this are... There's a lot of very dark humor. There's a lot of gore humor. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's almost like... And I, I totally see the parody. In fact, there's a scene in this one and just to, to echo back how, you know, in the first movie, there's really not much gore, as we mentioned last week. Um, like, everything's implied, but there's you don't see anything, really. In yeah. this one, it is so over the top. It's almost like to, Toby Hooper, like, making up for the first movie not having much. I mean, the scene yeah. when, when Dennis maybe Hopper, they... like, pulls the wall panel off and just gore pours out <laughs> is so yeah. pointless. But... It doesn't even make any sense either. It's it, just there it, to be like, oh, look at all that. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of organs and blood and skulls and yep. shit. And it's like, why? What, what? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, it's almost like I think the years and years of <laughs> Toby Hooper being told that he made this violent, disgusting, gory movie called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and him being like, no, it's not. Like, we barely use any blood at all. Like, all right, um, I'll make one then. You know, yeah, I think for years, <laughs> then finally he's like, fine, if we're gonna, if we're, if we're gonna get accused of it, let's do it. <laughs> let's really put all the, yeah, let's make it everything that they accused it of being. And maybe that's the joke. Like, I'm just, maybe that's kind of where Hooper's head is at the whole time is like, he yeah. made the movie 
that reputation, you know, of the first one would t- would have told you that that movie was like well, he made it, that. It, movie. I think that's why your parallel with Evil Dead is spot on, because yeah. it, it does the same thing. It's, but again, this kind of falls into the same kind of trend that was happening around this time, which was take a movie that had been made years before, and do a sequel, but it's going to have a bigger budget. It's going to have bigger star powers. Uh, it's going to have better effects, and but it's got to be cheesy. And yeah. Evil Dead Two did that. Well, because um, we can't. You know. If you if you play it serious, like you know they did with the first movie, it ends up yeah. getting banned and you know ends up getting censored. Yeah. Although this one got both of those things as well, but I think probably for different reasons. Yeah. I mean, Phantasm um, did that too. Yeah. You know, part two of Phantasm went from being this psychedelic indie horror film to what you buddy get road movie uh, a buddy road movie yeah. <laughs> yeah um not that it's bad but it just definitely has a different feel to it um yeah. and there there are things i don't want to give people the impression that this movie sucks or anything like that there are some no, no this is really hilarious there are some hilarious lines in this i don't know why i find them funny and <laughs> i think a you lot know, of those like... i think you know one of them because i sent you a link about a t-shirt for it today yep <laughs> the, the two college guys that are killed in the beginning by Leatherface and presumably Chop Top driving, um, are they're they're calling in to stretch on the on the the radio and they're just harassing her. They're being jerks. They're drunk assholes driving around shooting signs out of the window with a revolver and stuff like that, making a bunch of noise. And oh, there's where a lot of your '80s fashions come in because he's wearing like the the hologram yeah. sunglasses and stuff. Um, but and, and by the way, it's yeah. also kind of a cool little time capsule onto how radio station call-in things worked back then. Yeah, because um, you can't break the level telephones in general at that point. Like, and I will also just real quick before I get to my main point, what uh, throughout this has a shocking number of uh, car phones. Yeah, it sure does. Everyone night. seems to have a phone. In their Everybody's car got a phone in their car yeah. in '86 and '87, which is not how I remember the '80s. But no, I saw like two of those things ever growing up. Yeah, but the uh, they're driving around and they call in stretch and you know they're once you know do you want to request a song? One of the guys, the way he yells out, "Bright lights, big titties, woo!" <laughs> it's the woo at the end, and the way he like just throws his hands up so casually, just bright lights, big titties, woo, has cracked me up for years. <laughs> It is a it is a much uh, quoted probably because I was you know a twelve thirteen year old kid when I first saw this thing. Yeah, but yeah I remember and quoting that one quite a few times. And, but... and again, it's it's nothing about the line; it's the way it's delivered. It's the the poorly acted, like <laughs> just it's the 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 hands not even really showing enthusiasm. Woo! It's just kind of you're not you can't see it because we're recording this. It's this kind of like the wrists just kind of go up and down. Very simple. Yeah. It's 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 subtle. But there are some just weird funny lines in this Dennis Hopper is so unhinged in this that it's hilarious. Yeah, I always found him to be incredibly good in this movie. Um, I mean, yeah, he's unhinged, but Dennis Hopper's can do unhinged like maybe nobody else, you know. Um, I don't know. I, most of the contemporary reviews disagree. They said he kind of like slept, you know, sleptwalked his way through this movie. Didn't, uh, 
you know, you could tell, like, Ebert says that he's totally wasted, and you can tell he wasn't interested in the project. It's like, I don't see that at all. I see someone having a lot of fun with the with the part. So, I don't know. I guess it's a... Uh, and it, maybe it's because I generally enjoy this movie, even though it's not perfect, and Ebert did not, so... <laughs> it's, uh, I'll also there's a scene towards the beginning when, when you first are introduced to Lefty, into Dennis Hopper's character. He shows up at the car wreck scene of these two college guys. And he's getting rushed off by the local police because they're like, you know, you're you're the crazy guy we've heard about who's going after these this chainsaw myth. And he's in his car and he's kind of talking trash with the lead detective. And it was just, it, there's something about his performance in this where it reminded me like, you know, out of all the actors in Hollywood, um, being stared down by Dennis Hopper is pretty damn high on my list of terrifying things. <laughs> the way that he just, and I, I automatically thought, like, the way he lights a cigarette and he like bites it with his teeth while he's listening to your spout bullshit is just like, I think to, I think back to True Romance mm-hmm. of that scene with him and, and Christopher Walken, which is so intense. He just always has, yeah. he always had that intensity in anything, even in something as goofy as this. Yeah. No, I think he brings it to this movie. Like, I don't know. I guess people disagree with that. I always... I always enjoyed him uh, in this, and yeah, still did this time too. I thought he was great. Um, he's just totally unhinged, and you know he does spend the like latter half of the movie just chainsaw and shit. He doesn't really have any lines anymore, but and singing, bringing just, in the sheets, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I will. I often wonder if that might have been his own little touch, but oh, I'm sure it was. Um, but yeah, we do have a different actor playing Leatherface in this one. We have Bill Johnson yeah. rather than um, the the late great um, Gunnar Hansen. Gunnar Hansen, yeah. Uh, who, yeah. Who Gunnar Hansen had this large body, intimidating presence in the first movie. Um, he's scary as shit. He's just a big hulking guy. Bill Johnson's not that big. Um, no. And and one thing that I noticed this Leatherface does is, I think ninety percent of his attacks are just him holding his chainsaw over his head, and like running in place, <laughs> just yeah. just holding it up and like shaking his legs and going ah, and revving the chainsaw. That's just what he does, and then jacking off with it. You know, yeah, that's and it. doing a bunch of weird yeah yeah yeah. He's not as intimidating as Gunnar Hansen. He just doesn't have that stature. And yeah, I don't know the, the entire characterization of Leatherface um, didn't work for me as well in this one. He's just, and I know it's generally the you know the whole movie as we talked about is is is, is working with parody. But I think to to really be good parody, you have to kind of encapsulate what it is that's so captivating about those characters in the first place, and then you build on them, and then you add the funny. And I think they kind of missed the boat on that first step. They didn't really get somebody that, you know, had the presence of Gunnar Hansen. And Gunnar Hansen was approached about doing this movie. Um, they offered him, you know, some kind of scale agreement and um, plus 10% for his agent. He wrote back that, oh, I, I haven't been acting and don't actually work with an agent. So they took the 10% away and wouldn't give it back to him. So he said, well, I'm not going to do it for less money, you know. Yeah, and uh, walked away from the project. So they they wouldn't give him that extra ten percent, and they lost him. So I don't know. It was a mistake, I think. Oh yeah. Well, and I kind of wonder, like, is w- when I think about movies like Evil Dead that 
you're right, the sequel went parody. Um, and in other cases, like I mentioned, Phantasm, I don't feel like it went parody. It just, they tried going big, big budget. And it, yeah, as we talked about a long time ago in our review of that franchise, it, that, that was, that was a money thing. That was a money studio thing. Uh, a studio experiment, if you will. This is an odd choice to make a parody of, I feel. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm not trying to say there's something sacred about the original film that, like, you know, it doesn't deserve to be parodied. It's just, like, it's a hard one to do um, because you're, you're you st- well, like they did. They made it uber gory. They increased the, the sexuality. Um, and they threw in, you know, they, they, they took their most obnoxious villain character, like the hitchhiker and told the new guy to ramp it up to 11. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it just, they made it, Leatherface a bit of a joke. They made Leatherface a little, you know, more of a joke rather than this like disturbed, unhinged animal like character. They made, they also, when they got movie. into the s- second half of the movie, literally staged scenes like the, the dinner table scene uh-huh. is essentially exactly the same um not exactly the same like shot for shot kind of thing but it's the same scene they, they take stretch they tie her to a chair they bring grandpa down um you know grandpa hits her in the head with it it's an emulation of yeah. the uh scene but it's played um more for you know laughs and and i think the dynamic of the characters in the first film works really well uh because they're they're very disconcerting and they're off-putting and they're kind of bickering and like, um, I don't know, kind of redneck family uh, dynamic that they have um, works to kind of like make you ill at ease and, and, and worry for the, you know, Sally character. And it's, it's, but it, but it works really well. It adds to the fear of the film and this, it becomes a three stooges act. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's what it reminded me of the whole time. I'm like, they're doing Stooges, essentially, here. You know, Drayton's playing Moe, and the other two are, you know. Um, and I didn't get that impression in the first film at all. Like, it's... It, so maybe that's intentional, because uh, they just ramped it up. But, yeah, they, they redo this. It's kind of like, um, you know, to make the obvious uh, inference, it's like uh putting the three stooges in the dinner table scene from texas chainsaw massacre and see what happens and that's kind of how that plays out but. well now i have to see that hate <laughs> I, I i totally have to i, I don't know but shemp's got to be in there somewhere <laughs> i feel like grandpa. he'd be a good grandpa like yeah he, i've heard he's good but he's just never never really worked you know but Leatherface totally is a curly in this version. <laughs> oh yeah, he's, he's totally definitely curly. the curly. Yeah. But and then we do get a cool chainsaw battle at the end. Yes, a very cool. It's it's not even a. I I, I know they're not swords, so the word sword fight shouldn't really apply. But this is a chainsaw sword fight. It's what we get at the end of this thing, and it's awesome. It's it, it, it really is worth it's, the price of admission all by itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's not many movies with chainsaw battles there's like this and mandy and both are awesome yeah those are the two i can think of off the top of my head and yeah i mean they're all they're both the all the better for it so yeah i think <laughs> it just proves we need more movies with chainsaw battles yeah um, i mean let's the, just write a movie around that concept and no you better anyone listening out there better not steal my idea actually you know what steal my idea all you want 
because we need more movies with chainsaw battles. So yeah, and we already did robot jocks, and that kind of counts. That but does kind of count. It yeah. does kind of yeah. But yeah, I, 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 and then the grandpa thing in this one. That's when it really feels like it went into parody mode full on. When Grandpa, who is like a barely surviving corpse in the first movie and is introduced similarly in this one, gets up and yep. starts walking oh, around. Yeah. Grandpa's feisty in this one. He's uh, at least compared to the, you know, pretty much corpse that he is in the, yeah, like you said. Yeah. But yeah, he gets up and he's moving around and doing stuff so they also uh make a lot of references to grandpa being the original you know this is grandpa's doing i don't i don't remember exactly what the line is verbatim but you know uh gives you the impression that grandpa's the original crazy here you know this is uh and they do talk a lot about grandpa's legacy in the first one like oh he used you know grandpa used to work up at that that mm-hmm. slaughterhouse but he had to quit when they brought in that terrible air gun and all that you know all that stuff so you get that there's this legacy of grandpa anyway even in the first one but um you know this one i think uh definitely infers that he's you know he's the original cannibal and yeah anyway but they, leads me to like a go ahead they, I was gonna say, they, they introduce the whole kind of like the saw is family line which is a big thing in the third movie uh which we'll get to at some point but yeah they they kind of introduce that a little bit here with like you know because doesn't doesn't the doesn't grandpa have a special saw or something i don't remember even though i just watched it the other day there was something about like a different chainsaw and yeah it it grandpa never uses a saw but they no. There's reference to, yeah, something about the saw. Well, he's I mean, got great, like a, there's great... the special saw that's on like a pedestal, right? Because that's what. Mm. Isn't Slim find that one or Stretch find that one? Yeah. Well, there's. Isn't there a saw up with it? This is what, what I was going to. One of the things I was going to get to next um, is we meet. Uh, we think all this stuff about Grandpa because they talk about Grandpa and, you know, the first film. We talk about Grandpa's legacy here. And how he, you know, he's the original cannibal. He's the original chainsaw murderer. He's all this stuff. But then at the end, uh, Stretch finds uh, the corpse of Grandma. And this is definitely a different Grandma from the Grandma we saw in the first film. This is like, you know, definitely badass chainsaw Grandma. Because she's, you know, dressed all in this bridal gown. And has the chainsaw kind of altar. And this like kind of whole thing built to her. So all of a sudden it kind of flips this whole thing on its head and like, oh, wait, this all of a sudden seems very matriarchal when we thought this was a very, you know, and then grandpa just seems like this impotent old fool compared to this, you know, who grandma was. And I'm not sure if, you know, I unfortunately I don't think they ever do anything with that later on, but it's an interesting moment. It, yeah, it's this one ends also in a way trying to emulate the first movie, but it uh-huh. it doesn't pay off the same way yeah it's it's not as um it's still a bit of a jarring like oh it's over like it's it's it's, the whole movie kind of goes mad in its latter half that's similar to the first one and it's it's uh it's very quickly paced everything's moving a thousand miles an hour and then boom it's over it does that very well like just like the first one but yeah I, i don't think it i don't think it's as effective um 
of a moment because I feel like the last the last few frames of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre are like legendary. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this is, but yeah, this one it, you don't have that unrelenting can't breathe it's all coming at you you know a thousand miles an hour of terror kind of thing that the first one does where it it, when it ends so abruptly it's jarring and this one it's just weird goofiness and then all of a sudden it ends and you're not really sure are they trying to be goofy at the end or what um well at least it wasn't clear to me yeah so I, i think there was some I think there was some comment to be made, but I'm not clear. I'll, you know, I'll right out admit I'm not clear on exactly what they were trying to say by having Stretch become, um, not become Leatherface, but like have her emulate the Leatherface chainsaw. I mean, dance for lack of a better word from the end of the original film. Um, just after you know, kicking Chop Top down the mountain and hacking up the corpse of Grandma, I believe, with a chainsaw, um, and then. Uh, yeah, doing the doing the Leatherface dance with the chainsaw. I, I think there's something to be said, maybe a similar thing to what, what Wes Craven always talks about with his first, you know, couple of films where, um, to really when when faced with that kind of like monstrous uh, nature of people, you must really become evil or whatever like them to defeat them kind of thing. I know he talked about that a lot in the Hills Have Eyes special features, uh, and I'm I'm paraphrasing and not well, but. Essentially, you have to become one of the psychos to kill the psycho, you know, to defeat them. Um, and I think that you could, you could make that inference a little bit there, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not well developed in this movie. I think it's more that they just wanted to end it with something that was a parody or in emulation of the original film, um, more yeah. than anything. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they were trying to, to actually suggest she becomes the next. Leatherface, though that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you could uh, make an interesting movie out of that. So, well, and and also to to be honest, I I don't remember much of part three, so I could rewatch that and be like, oh, this connects a lot more, or I could just Wikipedia. It, which, yeah, um, yeah, and actually, curiously enough, and I know you said we'll get to it someday on the podcast. I don't think I've ever. I think that's the one I've never seen of the originals. I know I've seen the fourth one. So, oh. Yeah, it, it's been a long time since I've seen the third or fourth one, but um, yeah, we'll leave that for another show for another time. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, do you have any uh, final thoughts on this one? Anything we didn't cover? I, you wanted to mention? Yeah, there was one more thing, and it was kind of another difference in this film that that I didn't care for. That kind of set the tone a little differently. Um, and that's that they kind of abandoned what the original family, you know, um, from the original Chainsaw Massacre was all about. And they kind of abandoned this idea of, you know, the creepy old farmhouse had all this, like, um, art sculpted from, um, you know, human bodies and had this kind of, like, really disconcerting, like, filthy feeling to everything. And... I don't feel like that was very well emulated here. Maybe it's just because it's really hard to decorate a whole cave like they were shooting in, but um, I saw a lot less of the art, and the focus was more on um, the cannibalism. Wherein I feel in the first film, the cannibalism was implied and even heavily at points, but the focus was really on the atmosphere and kind of what, you know, 
the corpse artists and the kind of mutilation of things and um that i feel like they definitely didn't they, they kind of reversed in this film like yeah. it was this was certainly the cannibalism was the focus and again i feel like it is uh, a toby hooper reaction to this is just a guess i don't i don't know this i have never heard toby hooper really talk to this effect but i feel like he's reacting to a lot of his criticisms or the things that people assumed the original film was when it really wasn't mm-hmm. um so maybe that's another one of those when they're like, oh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's all about cannibals and it's so gory and it's got all this stuff about cannibalism and chopping up bodies and this and that. And it's like, no, it's really not there. Um, but in the set, when the second one rolls around, we're like, OK, well, let's give them exactly that. So, anyway. yeah, well, and I think like we talked about last week, it's there in the first one. It's just heavily implied like they they let right. you think about it a bit more. There's some some scenes where. It's, you know, so strongly suggested. It's like, get it. Like, they're they're kind of, you know, elbowing you. Like, do you, are you picking this up? And this one, they just throw it right at you. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it does. It does seem to do that. And that's, I think that comes with being a parody. You know? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a downside of, of being a parody. Uh, we didn't also mention the character of LG. Oh, right. Yeah. Who's like a, a producer for the the radio show that Stretch works on. And after getting pummeled in the head with a hammer repeatedly by Chop Top. Um, yeah, who by the way, violently. Like, just... I, I just read confirmation that, yes, okay, uh, Chop Top's full name is Bobby Sawyer. And his brother, twin brother, was Nubbin Sawyer also known as the Hitchhiker, and that is the corpse. Holy shit. Wow, you got it all figured I out. I fucking figured it out. The only thing I don't know about is the, the VA clinic thing. That's still my headcanon. But anyway. You know, I'm I'm going to say the thing that I'll know it, I'll say when you, you know, prove them wrong about something. <laughs> but I do feel like that's somewhat familiar. Like, I've read that, like, a long time ago. But I don't I don't feel like it's... Impl- I feel like you can read the film either way, honestly. Oh, sure. Yeah, like, yeah. It doesn't matter. They're still carrying a corpse around. <laughs> Who for some reason has a grenade on him. But anyway, um, LG is the the producer of the radio show and Chopped Up. Beats him over the head repeatedly with a hammer. And then they think he's dead. And they take him back to the cave to, you know, use his body for food. And um, Leatherface goes ahead and skins him pretty much. And then makes Stretch wear LG's face as a mask. And then LG wakes up. <laughs> yep. It's a really <laughs> horrific scene that actually is also darkly comedic. Yeah, because he's kind of yeah <laughs> stumbling around without a face, like trying to help stretch. But yeah, and even his yeah. last line, which was what did he say? Something like "Ah shit!" Essentially, yeah, like... ah shit, and then he just dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, it, 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 that was like, if that's the kind of humor they're going for, I'm like, okay, it's gross. Yeah. I don't think we, I guess we haven't concentrated enough on the fact that this is, it, it, it's not all awkward and it's not all off-putting. It's, it's a lot of the humor does work. It's, it's a good, it's like 50, 50, like it's funny at points. Like even some of the stuff I was talking about, like the stooginess of the, the way that the Sawyer family acts even some of that is funny, and Bill Mosley is hilarious. Like, 
some of the stuff he says is just batshit crazy. It doesn't even really make sense, but he's great. Like he's a really great character, and he deserves the you know the well, accolades I mean, of this character. So you know, there's there's a reason why Primus and Jerry was a race car driver. You they they sample the clip of of Chop Top yelling "Dog will hunt." Oh yeah, you know that gets sampled all over the place. Yeah, yeah it does. And, but yeah, that's the that's the one I remember it from. But yeah, and and you know, there's there's also you've got you know Drayton who is this multi award winning chili barbecue guy who goes around in like a, a chuck wagon food truck, and he's winning all these <laughs> all these trophies. Yeah. serving human making, meat and people are like yeah, biting into making bones. chili he's yeah. in a chili yeah. business yeah. yeah and people are biting into bones and he's like ah oh, it's a peppercorn <laughs> yeah. it's prime prime meat prime meat <laughs> i always know prime meat yeah yeah they really yeah. like hit you in the head with a hammer with the the cannibalism in this ah. um yeah end with a hammer yeah, totally. yeah i was disappointed <laughs> chopped up uses like a regular like claw hammer not like a sledge like in the first one, so, yeah. I don't know. I I think that the yeah first... it should have been a sledge because that's what he seems know, anyway. to be the thing. He's a different character. He, we he know is. that now. So well, yeah. and I, it's hard to compare these two. I think because the first one, you know, we, we talked last week about how it it was symbolic of you know there was there was a a vegetarian angle. There's an industrialization angle to it. There's a lot you can actually do with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. With part two, it's, you know, barf bag and a couple of beers. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, the first one's grueling and terrifying, and it's got that kind of, like, cinema verite, like, documentary-style um, reality to it that, you know, makes it a really, really effective and scary film. It's also paced in such a way that, like, once that thing takes off, it's... And I think this one does a fairly good job of doing that, too, but, you know, it's just... It's, I don't know, lightning in a bottle argument? Like, you just can't, uh... Yeah, can't make lightning strike twice or whatever. It sounds like George yeah. W. Bush trying to say cliches, but anyway. Um, yeah, it just... It, it, you can't make it can't make the same movie work the same way twice they did try to do something different i had you know hats off to them for trying something different i'm not sure it was always successful but this is a damn entertaining movie either way so. it is it is <laughs> it's it's incredibly gory um yeah. it's yeah. like really over the top gory but i'm it, surprised this is and i watched the r-rated cut and it's still very gory supposedly there is some i don't know if it ever made it back into like a director's cut quote unquote but i know that there is a blu-ray version with some additional footage on there i don't know if it's been edited back into the film but oh wow um, yeah they, and, so they cut stuff <laughs> and did you catch the uh toby hooper cameo um yeah, I think so, but remind me. I swear I saw him in it. Um, it's it's in it's towards the beginning when Stretch is going to Lefty's motel room, and it's during this big football game. Oh yeah, everybody's he's one in of town the for football the football fans. Yeah, the Texas OU versus the Dallas the, the Dallas Cotton Bowl, and yeah, he's a fan. He walks right in front of the the camera, and like yep. looks right at it because people are throwing <laughs> shit. And he's wearing like an orange jacket and a hat. And I was like, yeah, Toby Hooper, cool. Yeah, but um, yeah, overall, yeah, we I should mean, probably this grade this thing, huh? Yeah. I, I, okay, I just thought of one more thing. 
um, about that I didn't love about the Leatherface character. The fact that they use Leatherface like it's a name. Um, in the first, I mean, he didn't have a name. Or they called him Bubba. That's his name a couple of times. But Leatherface was like a moniker. Like, he's the guy that wears the human skin on his face. He's like a Leatherface, you know. Um, I, and this is just, they call him Leatherface, so. Yeah, I mean, they call him Bubba in this one. He is yeah, called they do. They Le- use it interchangeably. He, he's called Leatherface a few times, like once in the first one. The hitchhiker, oh, the hitchhiker yeah. calls him that at one point. Because that's when okay. he's like, Leatherface yeah, I mean, and I, we do all the work. You're just the cook. And that's when Drayton, well, we later find out his name is Drayton. In the first movie, he says, yeah, I just don't have any you know, joy in killing and all that. Um, but yeah, right. they, he they does say, say it I'm... a lot in this one. And it's it, it gets to be a bit much i mean yeah but i mean they give drayton you know you hear you hear other people refer to drayton because he wins the contest um chop top is just like you gotta know that's what they call bill mosley in this yeah i don't know i mean like the fact his name is bobby chop top sawyer i'm like okay i read that on wikipedia but who who who, where where is that in the movie (laughs) yeah unless you're the screenwriter you know like who knew that (laughs) right right so it's one of those things it's like fine i'll take it there's there's a cannon here I'll, i'm on board that's fine <laughs> but it's interesting that in this movie and again i can't speak to the the third and fourth because i haven't watched them in a long time and i have to track them down now but in the remake it's uh a different name right they don't use sawyer in the remake right no they did a totally yeah new totally new family Really, the only thing that survived was Leatherface, the character. Yeah. It's the Hewitt family. Yep. In the remakes. Um, Thomas Hewitt. Yeah, and they make him sympathetic, and they do a bunch of modern-y stuff with them, and it hurts. It, it them, did. You know. It did. I mean, the, the, the one thing I'll give the original four films credit for is the fact that they at least keep it where it's like, nah, this is a screwed-up family. Why are they screwed up? They're just screwed up. You know, in yeah. the in the remakes, they kind of try to do a little hyping up a little more on the... People were so cruel to them that they... Yeah. You know. And, you know, there was another remake franchise around the same time that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remakes were coming out, and that was The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. One and two yep. remakes. Um, which, again, in the original version of Hills Have Eyes, it's just a crazy family clan out in the desert, right? And in the remake, they made them, like, mutated a bit because they lived out mm. in a radiated area. But that at least kind of worked. Yeah. That worked a little I actually more. think that worked fairly well for the Hills Have Iris remake. But Yeah. In this one, it's... They just kind of... they You know, they, I feel like they improved it with that one. In this one, when they remade it, it didn't work quite as well. But... Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, the, I mean, the original... These four chainsaw movies again, three and four. I gotta track those down because it's been ages since I saw them. But uh, yeah, part two, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is definitely a uh, a, a twist on the original take. So if you had to grade this one, what do you think? You know, this is a really weird damn movie, <laughs> like, but it's really fun and entertaining too. And and fun might not sound like the right word for a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, but I think that's the only word for this one. Um, it is, uh, I don't know, it's entertaining as hell, over the top in about every way you can imagine. It's not serious, it's not really scary, 
Um, it doesn't have those like flashes of creativity that the first one has to kind of like really sell the terror. So a lot of the like really like legendary stuff about the first Dexter Chainsaw Massacre movie is missing. It doesn't make this one not watchable. It's it's still uh, yeah, it's it's still certainly worth a watch. Um, I think Dennis Hopper's great in it. I think um, yeah, the cast is generally good. I don't like what they did with Leatherface, but everybody else is great. Chop Top kind of makes up for it, so um, it's still enjoyable. It's memorable for different reasons than the original. The only thing that I would say is that this is not essential viewing the way that the first one is. Like if you're into like you know horror movies, um, you have to see Texas Chain. I mean, if you haven't checked that one off your list, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. You could do worse, but it's in no way essential the way that the first one is. So I think I'm going to land at a C plus for this one. I think it's got a lot of good things about it, but there's enough that, you know, it's just uh, it's a different animal and it's just not the not the classic that the original is. I, 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 I'm going to agree with with that largely as usual <laughs> um <laughs> yeah it's it, yeah i had the same feeling that the first movie is i would say it's essential viewing if you were going to do a i don't know like a graduate level thesis on like you know films and emotional reactions or something you'd have the exorcist on there you'd have you know uh schindler's list and a whole bunch of other things you know, this has got to be in there as like a horror. This and like Night of the Living Dead. There's a handful of horror films that just fit into these are important in the evolution of film. And I feel like the first Chainsaw Massacre, as as weird as this sounds, fits in there. This mm-hmm. this is more or less kind of a run of the mill '80s style slasher. We're gonna take a sequel to something that was really kind of a phenomenon when it first came out, for whatever reason. Uh, and we're going to commercialize a little bit more, goofy it up, and make it a little more appealing for everybody. And it, but it, it, and that's fine. Um, those films are fun. We, we review a lot of those here. But in this case, it when you know where it came from, it's kind of like, oh. Uh, so I don't know, maybe I do put Chainsaw, the original one, on, on a little more of a pedestal. Um, so it's hard for yeah, me to, to love this movie, but it is a fun one. It doesn't take itself seriously, so neither should anyone watching it. And I appreciate the fact that they kind of put that out there right in the beginning. So I, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm going to give this one a, a C just because I don't feel like doing pluses. <laughs> but I'll give it a C. It's right there. Sure. It's, it's um, Yeah, you could do worse. Um, but the first movie is one to watch and you talk about afterward, which is a tagline from the original film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> In this one, you you have a couple of drinks while watching it with friends. Yeah, it's and, definitely one of those movies, and, and and see what you can stomach because it is really gory. <laughs> it's more gory than I remember it being, and maybe it's just because I haven't seen gore effects like that. The Savini effects were so unique. I mean, yeah. back in yeah, this he era, he really does it like no other. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it. They're not always believable, but they're believable enough. Yeah. So well, and sometimes they're fun. like you mentioned the the um, guts gag, like the just closet full of or wall full of just human entrails, essentially. Um, that isn't believable for a hundred different reasons, but it's gross and effective at the same time. So it's like 
Yeah, yeah. It's just when you're when you're turning your head in, you know, and gagging, you're not thinking about. Well, that doesn't make sense, <laughs> you know, and that's okay. So, but yeah, yeah they could they definitely could have used more maggots to make that believable. That could have that really, really would have been yeah, maggots. or congealed. It'd be congealed, I would think. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> but there's our review of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2 to kind of round out the episode 150 and 151. And we would love to hear any of your thoughts on the total strangeness that the that took a turn in an already strange franchise of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We would love to hear your thoughts, any questions, comments, criticisms, or witticisms at the Video Junkier Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at the Video Junkier Podcast main page or the group. Also find us on Twitter at Video Junk Pod and of course on Pinterest, Instagram. Uh, we're not on TikTok yet. We're give it time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'd love to hear from you uh, and share any of your thoughts or any suggestions for future films. Absolutely. And uh, we are going to take a little hiatus from Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, but do intend on getting back to the franchise at some point, and we'll finish it off. Maybe even jump into the remakes i i don't know we'll see what the future holds but certainly think we'll finish off the uh, original four at some point in the future uh but next week we're going to be checking out the 1990s uh tv miniseries of stephen king's the stand directed by mick garris starring gary sinise molly ringwald rob lowe um etc etc pretty uh deep cast in that very um and um yeah so that's uh you want to watch watch along with us you should get started as soon as you possibly can because it's a long one it did originally aired in uh four two-hour parts so that's broadcast length but that makes the total film somewhere around six hours in length so um yeah and and Uh, we're we're specifically yes we're talking about the 90s one not the most recent remake yes absolutely yes though i'll probably be commenting on that one more than (laughs) i should uh, yeah, and, and perfect timing too. Is we we've been planning on doing this that the '90s version of the stand for at least a couple weeks now, and yep. its timing is pretty interesting as we're starting to see. I don't want to say coming out of the pandemic, but as we're kind of seeing some things loosen a bit. How appropriate that now we're gonna cover a mini series about plague. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like the irony is lost on anybody. <laughs> so make sure, yeah, you check that one out. Though, unfortunately, I don't think that one is streaming anywhere um, that I could find. Um, yeah, I don't believe so. I happen to own the DVD, so... It's, uh... Yeah, same here. However, uh, we do still hope you join us for that one. And uh, what's coming up after that, do we know? Um, we're going to do a couple weeks of... Uh, we're going to feature Full Moon Features, and that is the uh, oh, yeah. Charles Band Company. And uh, I don't think we've decided what specific films we're going to look at, but probably a couple of the Full Moon staples. And if you're familiar with that company, you might have a few guesses of what that might be. But uh, I'm going to do a couple weeks of that, and then uh, after that, we got some work to do, because I'm not sure where we're going after that. So. Plus, where those listener some... picks are important, so please get those in That's right. whenever you can. I want to thank you once again for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Feel free to share around. And until next time, I'm Joe Peterson. And I'm Eric Branson. Dog wheel hunt! Get that bitch, Leatherface! Get that bitch! <laughs> Dog wheel hunt! You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend. You just can't let them go. Go.
stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash video junkyard podcast on Twitter at video junk pod and on Instagram as video junkyard podcast. All one word. Want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard. Hello fellow time travelers and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whip, and every two weeks or so I'm joined by a two to three person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Allison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Enjoy your travels.